Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. Here we are. This is the last day of our series, Chasing the Wind. And we've stretched this series out. We've had little breaks along the way. But finally, Labor Day weekend, we're wrapping this series up. And I've found studying the book Ecclesiastes, it's been a challenge. Because I'm a Jesus guy. I hope you're a Jesus guy. And I love going to the Gospels. And I love, you know, I can follow along pretty well. But when you start looking at some other books in the Bible, you ever read them go... I don't know what exactly this means, especially poetry. I'm not great with poetry. And so with that, I'm like, man, I need some help to unpack this. And so Ethan Smith is here, and he's going to help me today. Ethan and his family have been a part of our church for many years. Another person kind of raised up in our church. And it's been fun because what we've been doing is studying it and looking at it. And, and, and Ethan was be able to help me a little bit along. And see, Ethan, for his hobby, some people do all kinds of different things. They play paintball. You love, you love airsoft. You do that kind of stuff. So he, you, you're, I would say you're normal that way. But what makes him extraordinary is this. He loves studying theology. This guy writes papers for theology, like doctrinal papers and stuff, okay? The guy loves God's Word. He loves studying theology. He's, there's a calling that, that Ethan has, and it's very distinct that's there. And so him and I, probably the last year or so, have been spending some time together. And as I'm drinking coffee, you don't drink coffee, as I'm drinking lots of coffee, he's sharing stuff with me, and what he's learning and growing. It's been fabulous. So the beginning of summer, I said, Ethan, help me out with this series. And so different thoughts and ideas that you actually you heard over the summer, if you're here, were a part of that. But toward the end, I'm like, Ethan, why don't you join me and do this? And so he's joining here the last day, and you get to hear from here and him in a moment, some great stuff. Take out, take out your pen and paper there, your little, your little listening guide, and write some stuff down, some nuggets you're going to get from, from this guy that we're doing. But let me, let me just, if you haven't been with us, let me just give you just a synopsis a little bit of the book Ecclesiastes. It's real important that we understand where this is all coming from, because as I mentioned, it's a challenging book. It's, it's King Solomon. Many believe he's the one, or at least had commission to write this, this book. It's almost a biographical reflection of his life and probably looking back on his life with regrets. And what we find is that it's actually, it's an older man conveying to a younger generation. He's looking back on his life and saying, hey, don't go the way I went. And, and what we find is there's one central theme that he, it's a thread throughout. And it actually identifies something that all of us can connect with. It's, it's not only just over centuries, many thousands of years was, was written, but it speaks to our generation today. It speaks to a, a Gen Xer, 18-year-old Gen Xer, is a, or Gen, Gen Zer. I'm the Gen Xer, 49 years old, baby boomer, millennial, whatever age level you are in, around here in this room. It really speaks and identifies this problem. It identifies this, this struggle that we all have that we're trying to find, and that is this, meaning of life. Meaning of life. I already thought about it. What is the meaning of life? That is what Solomon, in his words, and he's conveying, and to understand in a practical way to do that. What is the meaning of life? Finding purpose, finding significance. And so here he is. He identifies himself as the teacher. Many, again, the voice of Solomon. And he's looking back, again, with 
some regret. He's saying, I, what I've done, I've done it all, I've had it all, I've experienced it all. And let me tell you all, let me, let me call you out of what, what all that is. This is what he calls it. He says this, it's meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utter meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Sounds like a drama queen, doesn't it? Life's over. You know, this is it. It's over. It's it. That's it. That's meaningless. And when we learned about the word meaningless, it doesn't mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean pointless. It actually has this Hebrew. You'll learn some Hebrew here. It means hevel in Hebrew. Uh, another English translation is vanity. Vanity, vanity. But what it is, it, it's, the word is smoke. It's mist. It's vapor. It's something translucent. It's this, it's this theme is going through the summer. A chasing the wind, never trying to grab something and win. You just can't grasp it. What is it? The, life's short. Life's elusive. And so how you live it really does matter. See, as, as Christ followers, if you're here today and you're following Jesus, we know this life is not just this life. But even us here today, we get caught up in the here and now and miss the greater significance. And so, as we're wrapping up the very last day of this series this summer, we have this theme that Ethan and I going to unpack together. Live with the end in mind. Live with the end in mind. So if we're going to live with the end in mind, here's a really good question to ask. I think it's a question big for our own soul to ask is this. So then, here's the question, how shall I live? If you know the end is in mind, that one day it will be, how shall you live your life? How should we go? How should we end? And... To help us with that, the fact that it will end. You you saw the Monopoly game here. How many have played Monopoly before? I was curious, okay? Here's a question I asked the last service too. How many have never played Monopoly before? Is anybody in this room who have never played it? Now look around you. Every single person has played Monopoly. Don't raise your hand whether you like Monopoly or not, okay? Some of you are just world dominators and you love it. You're overachievers. You love Monopoly. What I've found is that when someone pulls out the Monopoly game, I go, oh, Monopoly? Why? Because it's involved. Just setting up the board, getting all the denominational monies out, and how many, you have to look in the structures, you get this, how many hundreds, and this, and you're just like, you get it all set up, and you're almost exhausted before you play the game. And then you play the game, it's like a three-hour game. You know? I remember kids are little, they ready for bedtime, and they pull out Monopoly. Like, hey, can we play Monopoly? No, go to bed. It's too, we're not going to play a game. But I would finally cave and play with the kids. And, play. and then when they pulled it out, they didn't really understand a lot of things of life when it comes to playing Monopoly. And so what happened is, you know, you're supposed to tell your kids to, you know, you know or you, this is a little, you know, you try to let your kids win in games. Some of you do that, and that's great. Let your kids win. I never let my kids win in Monopoly. I dominated them. I wanted them to learn what the hard cruelty of life. And, and so I would crush them, and I, I, they would land on my, and you say, you owe me. Well, Daddy, I don't have it. You're going to have to pay up. You owe me. And I'd bankrupt those kids. Man, I would do that. And they'd cry, and this is not fun. I hate this. And, and there's a lot, of, a lot of emotion that went with this game, Monopoly. And, and then what happened is these doggone elementary teachers, they started teaching the kids math. 
and value of money and everything. And so you might be hurting like having a vendetta against somebody. My kids had a vendetta against me because when they got old enough, they began to crush me in Monopoly, especially my son. He would just, he would just be ruthless. And, and so then there would be a lot of motion and there'd be a lot of tears and, and people would leave the room and then I would come back and calm down and, 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 and then we close this game. And then like, he's like, I got you. And you know, we, we, I, you, I beat you, collect and eat all the money and all the properties go to him. And then I was like, okay, well, game's over. Go ahead. We got to, what? We'll clean it up. It, it, it all goes back in the box. Got to put it all back in the box. It's over. That's it. And I'm thinking in the game of life. I know it's Monopoly. In the game of life. It's a good game. We got kids with us today. Or some are elementary kids. So we get the response. You do that. Yeah. In the game of life, at the end of it all, when we possess and we, I don't know if you're buying houses and hotels, that's cool if you do all that, and you're, you're, you're accumulating wealth and you're dominating, you're, you know, some people say in business, we're killing it, we're killing it in our business, and I don't know if that's good or bad, it's good, but, and, and you're just getting all that you can at the end of the day, in your life, it all goes back in the box. So I'll go back to that question. So then, how should you live? How shall you live? When you live in, in the end of, of, of mind, how shall you live? Well, the teacher, King Solomon, one more lesson from the king, tells us how to live. He actually, at the end, helps us to live with the end in mind. He closes this chapter. And what's so amazing, it's just worked out so well. It's that he's communicating, you can sense in this, to a, from a, as an older man communicating to a younger man, hey, you need to live with the end in mind. You need to look at your life that it's going to end one day, that it's all going to go back in the box. And so to finish off our series, I'm going to go to the very last couple verses we're going to look at today. The last couple of verses, and then we're going to go back and catch up, and we can get to the why of these verses here. But this is how he ends it all. He ends the whole book this way. He says this, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now those are sobering words, right? At the end, there's going to be a place of accountability. At the end, it's going to all come together. The fact is, it's all going to go back in the box. When it's all said and done, when living and then, how shall I live? How do we respond? He says this, fear God and follow his word. That's it. Drop the mic, exit the stage left. That's it. That, that's really what he says that he's doing here. But I read that, to be honest with you, it doesn't really motivate me too well. Fear God, keep his commands. Sounds kind of a religious thing to do. And there's power of things that that's the simple things to do. But I, I, I struggle a bit. I want the motivation of that. Why? Why do I, why is that so important? How shall I live in that way? And what we find is, Ethan and I study this this week, we found three words that we're going to go back to and catch up to these last few verses. Three words that we're going, to, we're going to look at today. And these are three words. Remove, I'm sorry, rejoice, remove, and remember. Three words for you, Labor Day weekend. Rejoice, remove, and remember. You want to unpack the first one for us? All right. Well, I am really glad to be here. Um, it's been a pleasure working with Dan and just with the time he's poured into me. It's been, I'm just really thankful. Um, so some people before and after the service asked, are you, are you nervous? Are you nervous to preach for the first time? Or were you nervous when you preached? And uh, I wasn't really nervous as much as I was excited. But then when they started asking that, then I got nervous. So yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe don't, don't do that. <laughs> so 
Ecclesiastes 11. Light is sweet, and it isn't pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. You see, God has given us all this blessing of light, this life. And um, everyone here, I assume, is experiencing this blessing. And I'm not saying that, that life is totally good and there's no pain, misfortune, or death, because there really is. But, but there's so much good in life. There's so much to be thankful for. Friends, family, joy, happiness. Um, but, but there's always a level of, of pain and misfortune and death. And indeed, death, or the days of darkness, it bookends every single life. And none of us knows exactly when that day will be, but we can be sure that it's coming. As Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed for a man to die once, and then comes judgment. You can be certain that your body will break down and quit running. You'll, you know, you're going fine, and then the wheels start to fall off, so to speak. Your mind doesn't work that well, and then you just kind of, you know, stop. <laughs> kind of like a car. Um, speaking of cars, uh, I was taking my, I think, 2005 or 2000 Toyota Camry to school one day, and uh, it just, you know, just kind of stopped on the way. And uh, so that was kind of awkward, but I did see it coming because it was in a very bad state and was only getting worse for years up until that point. Um, actually, my sister-in-law picked me up and then brought me to school. And I was late to school, so then I had to call my mom and she picked me up, brought me back home, and then drove me to work. So it was just a mess. So, But some of us are really in that stage of life. We're falling off, the wheels are coming off, the brain isn't working that well, and yet others, we have, we're in the prime of our lives. We have youth. And many of us, we won't die of old age, but will be taken rather abruptly, whether by an accident or, or an illness or even murder, something that we can't foresee. Um, but we can know that God's appointed day for our death will come, and it might come sooner than you think. James 4.14 says, You do not know what, what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? It is like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. In verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, for him it is sin. That's hevel, that's mist, that's vapor. That's what James is, is telling us. That's what our life is. That's what we are. We're passing away. Our life is unpredictable and it passes away like smoke. So after our death, we will enter into eternity. Eternity, in case you're wondering, stretches on infinitely, as you probably know. Um, infinity is really an impossible number, possible quantity to, to try to, well, quantify, to try to wrap your mind around. It's just the, the finite that we are, we cannot comprehend the infinite. And yet, since God created us, our souls will live on infinitely. It's like my, uh, my dog Maggie, she's a little Shih Tzu, so not here, but like down there <laughs> by my ankle. She's, we call her an uh, ankle biter, my uncle does. Um, she, uh, she'll grab wood from the wood pile that we burn in the winter and uh, she'll try to play with it, but she just ends up gnawing on it because she can't fit her mouth around it. She can't do anything with it because it's just too big. It's too beyond her abilities to grasp, literally. It's actually kind of pitiful to watch. <laughs> so, but nothing in, our, nothing in this physical universe that we can observe is truly infinite. But God has put eternity into man's heart, as Ecclesiastes 3.11 says. So our souls will live on infinitely, 
even after our bodies die. So after we die, we will meet the Lord face to face. We will have to give an account for the way in which we used our lives. That is God's gift to us. Did we thank the Creator by worshiping and serving Him? Or did we, did we waste our lives on selfish pursuits? Rejoicing begins with thanking God for His grace toward us. So Solomon continues, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. So after reminding us of our inevitable deaths, informing us that what is to come, whether good or bad, will last infinitely longer than our lives, we are encouraged not to cower in fear, walk nervously through life, or to close ourselves off and protect ourselves, but to rejoice, to be glad, and to thank God from whom all blessings flow. You see, the reality of death, depending on where you know you're going, it should bring us joy. That's certainly the reality of the one who entrusts his soul to Jesus, who entrusts his eternity to Jesus. In Christ's work on the cross, we can have confidence that this life will not be our last and certainly won't be our best. So for those of us in Christ, let us rejoice in him and in his salvation. And as Paul says in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You see, to rejoice is a choice. It's not based on circumstance, but on something eternal that is God. If we find our joy primarily in our circumstances, in our careers, in our relationships, things that pass away, we will ultimately find that our joy will be cut short. So those of us who are young, we're called to rejoice in our youth, rejoice in our strength, our energy, and our, our health, because we have our whole lives ahead of us. But we only have this blessing for so long, so we can't afford to squander this season in our life. Rejoicing includes thanking God for his grace toward you, making the best of the time that you have, and living with the end in mind. So Solomon continues, walk in the way of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Solomon tells us how to make the most of our youth and of our remaining time here on earth. He exhorts us to follow our hearts, pursue our passions, and fulfill our desires. So some of you might be inspired by that, or others, perhaps with more life experience, might think, well, that's exactly how you squander your life. You see, when I followed my heart, when I fulfilled my desires, I got hurt, and it hurt others. Indeed, the human heart is deceitfully wicked above everything else. Who can know it? That's what Jeremiah 17, 9 says. In Genesis 6, every inclination of the thoughts of our hearts are only evil continually. We are truly bent towards sin, radically depraved. So what then? Are we to follow our hearts or not? There is a qualifier attached to this verse, a, a caveat. Solomon says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then we should follow our hearts, we should pursue our passions, and we should fulfill our desires, and yet only insofar as those things are in accord with the will of God. Hmm. Now some of you might feel restricted by that. Maybe you had other plans. Hmm. But the fact is, the most joyful, meaningful, and free life is to be found in fearing God and keeping His commandments. And that begins with faith in Christ. Every other path is hevel. Every other path is sinking sand. It's vanity. It's meaningless. It's vapor. Without Christ, it's all going to end in the box. Oh, that's good. Isn't it? I like that part, this, the deliberateness of the 
a choice to rejoice. I don't know about you. I have to choose to find joy. It doesn't always happen to me. That's happiness. Joy is a choice. And so it's a choice. First word, rejoice. The second word he uses, Solomon uses, is the word, is the word remove. And remove comes from verse, verse 10. It says, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from, from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. The older you get, if you're here, we're all getting older by the minute, to remind you of that. As we older we get, we learn that it's not just the minutes and the days and the hours and the years even, it is actually the decades that we live. And we get perspective, don't we? We're kind of like the, you're old enough, you're kind of like that bald guy at the farmer's insurance commercial. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. You are here today and that's you. And we can learn a lot. We can learn a lot from those that are gone before us. And that's really what Solomon is trying to communicate here. He's saying, hey, young guy, don't let your emotions get astray. Don't do stupid stuff with your body. That's what he's saying. Sure, I want, to, I want to tell you this, that I have a lot of regrets. Yeah, I can live to tell about it, but I, I have some sad stories. Don't go that way. It's, it's hevel. It's smoke. It's vapor. It's, a, it's like a magician trick. It's, it vanishes. It's not worth it. So he says to do this. He says, remove vexation. Now, I had to look up the word vexation. Like, I'm thinking, is this something you take your dog to the vet to do? You know, vexation? <laughs> so what does this mean? Well, I had to look it up. It's the state of being annoyed, frustrated, and worried. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was my Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday last week that I experienced. I, know, I think I know what that means. We get so caught up. Solomon's saying you get so caught up in the here and now that it, it, it brings annoyance and frustration and, and, and worry because we're not thinking long term. We're not thinking eternal. As Ethan pointed out, understanding God and his, he, he has, he's infinite, his infinite perspective, and we can lose it. it, it no matter what, really, no what, what age you are, even, even when you're really young. I remember my daughter... I'm going to tell this story because she's at Go Camp, so we can tell this story. So don't let her know uh, that I told this. But uh, I pay her money if, she, if I tell a story. That's the little deal I get with her. I give her a dollar. I think she's going up higher in the price when I tell stories because the dollar doesn't, she knows how to count now. It's not worth much. But my, our daughter, when she got home from kindergarten, very first day of kindergarten, she comes through the door and said, honey, how was your day? She goes, oh. And she throws her backpack down, her coat. It was the worst day ever. Remember that, huh? The worst day ever. And I just want to say to her, honey, if you think first day of kindergarten's bad, just wait for the rest of your life. It gets a lot worse, right? You don't say that. No, you give her a hug. Do you want a cookie? You know, that's what you need at kindergarten. Now, we've, most of us graduated kindergarten, at least. And what we so get caught up in the here and now, even in the state of our own affairs, and what it does, it brings annoyance and frustration and worry in our life. And so... We need to vexate. Well, to, re, to do that, or this vexation, we need to remove it. And to remove, you probably know what the word means. It means to drag away, to banish, and get rid of. Now, on vacation, I, we spend some time cleaning the garage, and I love cleaning my garage. I do. I like, it's just something about organizing my life, and things are in a certain place, and we got things that are labeled. And so, when I go in the garage, I can find what I want in the garage. We can actually park the car. So, I mean, wow, you can park your car in your garage. Yeah, we clean it enough to be able to do that. I actually enjoy organizing things like that. 
In fact, after we cleaned it that one day, my wife and I were doing that, and then I went out to the garage. She said, where are you going? I'm going out to the garage to admire our work. I, wanna, I was actually sitting in the garage. I'm like, this is so beautiful. I ended up helping my, my, my sister-in-law because uh, she, she lost her husband a couple years ago, and I helped her clean her garage. And some of you are like, okay, come on over. You can come over to our house. You want your garage clean? help you organize it, okay? I've got a reality TV show I'm starting, okay, to do that. So... But what I've found is this. As much as I'm pretty good at organizing and cleaning my garage, I'm not really good at organizing and cleaning my heart. It's much harder. And maybe you found the same thing when it comes to your very, very soul. And as Christ followers, we're called to keep it clean. That's what he means to remove it. Well, what do we need to remove? Well, Paul, Apostle Paul, a few hundred years later, gives us how to do it. This is what he says. Verse 31 of Ephesians 4, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, and brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ had forgiven you. Just as Christ has forgiven you, to be able to go, I can be empowered by Christ, His power to help me to do that work. I can't clean my own heart on my own. It's just like my sister-in-law. She, even after a couple of years, she's overwhelmed with so much emotion and that garage represented her memories of her husband that passed away. So I was able to go in there and it's like, well, where do we start? And I just said, we just start at the beginning. <laughs> we get some bins and this goes to the dump. This goes to donations. This is what you could probably sell on Craigslist. This is something you want to keep. And I helped her organize and sort it out. I, can, I tell you that the, the Lord wants to organize your soul. He wants to help you sort it out. Shane mentioned worship and prayer. That Pray that prayer. Search me, O God. Show me my heart. That there might be any that may sin. And he prayed also in Psalms 51, creating me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. And the Bible describes the fact that God is faithful and just, and that he will forgive us our sins when we confess them to him. So if you're here today, and if you've got some rage, and you've got some anger, and you're struggling, and just, are you thinking a little bit more shorter term than you're thinking beyond eternity? The old guy is telling the young guy, hey, I got wasted years of unforgiveness and harboring bitterness and bad relationships. It's not worth it. You're here. Some of you know. You you know a thing or two because you've seen a thing or two. You go, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Remove it today. Ask the Lord before you leave. Pray a simple prayer. Say, God, remove that in me. Cleanse me. Ask me forgiveness of sin. And I would tell you this. Do this on an ongoing basis. Guess what? After a few weeks, my, my garage is getting cluttered again. Who's bringing more junk in the garage? It, it's a little bit more cleaning at a time. Don't just do it once a year. Don't just do it occasionally. Continually, as we're wanting to live with the end in mind, remove all that so there's space. Do something that's, that's really, really important that, that uh, Ethan's going to unpack for us next. Okay, so the uh, next section is a bit longer. Um, so I'll just interpret it first and then read it. So this, this next passage is really just talking about one thing and it paints this picture of this in so many different ways. Um, it's talking about death. Kind of morbid, kind of drawn out, but I think it's important. So, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil day comes and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. 
They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the, in the fountain, or the, whole, the, the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. So with, with this really vivid description of death, we are exhorted to remember God. So how often do you consider God's grace toward you and thank him? How often do you consider God's will and obey him? How often do you consider his attributes and praise him? The title creator is used here to remind us that we are the handiwork of God. Our bodies, our minds, our souls, it's all from God and for God. So while you have time, remember God. In the many word pictures used here to describe death, the preacher is seeking to paste this one truth on the forefront of our minds. Solomon wants us to know that death approaches swiftly and surely, and he wants us to live with the end in mind. Um, now I'd like to get into a little bit of a biography on a preacher from the 1700s that's been a really, really great inspiration to me and encouragement. Uh, his name is Jonathan Edwards. Some of you probably at least have heard the name. Um, but Jonathan came to know the Lord as a teenager. And after his conversion, he began a life of following Christ, which he did with great zeal and ambition and joy and resolve. Now, key in on that word, that resolve. All the way up until his death, he was a man of resolve. But before turning 20, he mapped out the course of his entire life in his resolutions. This was his way of taking biblical truth and applying it directly to his life as a sort of guide to keep him focused on the end, on the finish line, in eternity with Christ. And so every one of his 70 resolutions was all aimed and aiming himself and his life's course at the glory of God. And this is his first resolution. Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory, my good, my profit, and my pleasure. And he considered all those four things as one, as a unified objective. And he was probably inspired by the Westminster Catechism's first question. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. You see, Edwards knew that the best way to live his life was to live for the glory of God. And I learned of Edwards fairly soon after I was saved. And his passion totally ignited my own. You see, he exemplified what it meant to remember, or excuse me, to rejoice, to remove, and to remember as he Resolved to glorify God with his life. Scripture tells us, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, for the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And that's Ephesians 5. So, That's great. Thank yeah, you. That's awesome. We're going to wrap it up. I'm going to invite our team to come. As we close this entire series together, I want to take us back to a question, as you might be wanting to reflect on, how can, I, how can I rejoice in the Lord? How can I remove the things in our life? How can I take time to remember? To go back to this very question, that the first week was this question we ended with, was 
what if I live life backwards? What if I live life backwards? That's really what Solomon's doing. He's telling as an, as an older man, saying to a younger man, don't go my way. He's speaking back to himself. He's speaking back to himself. If I could do it all over again, I would. What if we did this? What if we reverse that question as, what would you say to yourself 10 years from now? Today. What would you want to say to yourself, you plus 10? What would your life look like? If you're 20 years old, what will you say to your 30-year-old self? You're 50 years old, what do you want to say to your 60? If you're 70 and you get to 80, you're like, good job, made to 80. What do you want to say to yourself of the 10 years you have in your life ahead? As Ethan says, we don't know tomorrow, we don't know the next day. Life is so short, it's elusive, but we would live in the end in mind. If we would live life backwards, I'm wondering if we would approach the game a little bit different. I'm wondering if we thought that's the way to live life backwards, to approach the game a little bit, that the game of life that we're playing, that the game is not just about possessing and owning and, and hoarding and get everything we can and make sure we move up in positions and make sure we provide, of course, for our family, but even beyond in our retirement and checking our 401ks and, and having what all we want and all we desire and think we even earn or think we've entitled to have because it's an American right to have. At the end of the day, would we play the game differently if we really lived each day to know one day it's all going to end? To live with the end in mind. Because at some point, some point, it comes to an end. It comes to think as much as you have and all that you acquired and all the experience you have, at some point, it's going to be over. At some point, you got to recognize that every bit of it and I don't want to be morbid about this, but it's all, really, at the end, going to go back in the box. I don't want to be morbid, but that's a casket. That's an urn. That's ashes spread over water, the mountain, or wherever your favorite place is. Your earthly life, the ashes to ashes and dust to dust. At the end of the game. So then, if that is the case, and we know this to be the case, so then how should we live? How should we live our lives? And in this, today, at this moment, how do you respond to God right now? Ethan, will you lead us as we respond to the Lord today? So, some of you might be here thinking, um, I wasted my life. I've, I've wasted uh, my time up until this point, and uh, I want a life that's meaningful. And that life is to be found in Christ, in pursuing Him, in having faith in Him, and entrusting your soul to Him. You see, we, uh, we're in need. We're in need of meaning. We're in need of something that's eternal, something that's solid, that's solid ground. All of our ground is sinking sand besides Christ. So what Christ did 2,000 years ago is He died on that Roman cross... And he bared our guilt, our sin, and the wrath that we deserved for that sin so that we could receive his righteousness and the reward that he deserved for that. And we can accept that. We can receive that, that righteousness, that right standing before God and be reconciled to God and then live in newness of life by repenting of our sins and having faith in Christ alone. And then Christ rose again on the third day and he offered us new life. He, he raises us up with him. And so we can live in that new life. We can live outside of that box, that urn. That, 
we can live beyond the grave. We can live again. So for those of us in Christ, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice in Him. And for those of you who are not in Christ, come to Him today. Don't wait. You might not even survive the rest of today. You might not survive another year. You might not survive 10 years. You don't have time to wait. So get on this solid ground and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer as we close this series. God, we're so grateful for your word. God, we're thankful that we don't have to live our own ways, our own means of how we do life. We have, we have you. We have your truth before us. And Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can respond to you. Because Jesus, you did all the work. Just as Ethan communicated, Christ, you came and made a way when there was no way. You provided a way out of this old life, this life that's so pinned to a box, to this very vessel that we, our souls live in. But it's all going to end. It's all going to go put put, put back together in in a box, and it's it, and it's going to be over, it's said and done. But those of us that know you, those of us that have a relationship with you, we live beyond the box. And Lord, one day we will do that in heaven. One day we'll be as Christ followers with you forever. But Lord, I pray that you would remind us that that eternity starts on this earth, that we have you. Christ, when you're in us, eternity starts with you. Heaven come down in us through relationship with you that we can live beyond the box right now in this life Lord that we would anything that's in our way that we're trying to grab and hold and possess it's all hevel Lord it's all smoke it's all vapor it's going to dissipate we can't grab on it Lord may we hold your truth and trust in your promise of, of wonderful salvation that we truly can have in you God if there's anybody here today that have not surrendered their life to you. We pray, God, that your your Holy Spirit would just visit them right now. And they would say, Jesus, I'm tired of living and trying to live in this, this world on my own. I'm tired of, I'm trying to just live in the grind and try to get what I can get. And Lord, I'm falling short, Lord. I need you. And more importantly, not only do I need you on this earth, Lord, I need you beyond this earth. I need to know that I'm going to heaven. I need to know that for sure that my, my place and trust in you, that God, I have that destination in place, that I can live beyond the box. And so I pray for those here today. If, if you're here, maybe you say, Lord, I want to live beyond the box. I want to live beyond this life. If your head bowed and your eyes closed right now, I want to give you a time to respond. Maybe you're here today and say, Jesus, I I need to live beyond the box. I want to live for eternity because I want a relationship with you. Will you slip your hand up? I want to pray for you today. That's you. Yes, I see that. That's awesome. Anybody else? That's awesome. Anybody else back there? Okay, good. There's a few of you. You're being honest, and that's wonderful. Maybe some others here today. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. And and the prayer is really just just this. Lord, I've tried to live on my own. I've tried to do it in my own way, and it's heaven. Lord, it's it's coming short. It's it's nothing. It's meaningless. And Lord, I want to try find true meaning in you true meaning in this life, to live beyond this box, to live for the sake of eternity. And Lord, I want to be in heaven with you. And so Lord, I ask heaven would come down in my heart, Lord, as I invite you to be my Lord, my Savior. Lord, I want to follow you as a disciple, Lord, today, to believe, Lord, and repent of my sins and confess you to be Lord. My allegiance toward you, 
So God, then you would fill me with your spirit so that I can say no to this world. I can say no to the, the things that, that I can't control in my life, but I can follow you and pursue you, Lord. And so God, cleanse my heart through your, your work and the, what the work you did on the cross for my very soul. I receive you to be Lord and Savior. I pray this in Jesus' name. And I want to pray for everyone here. God, we just pray that, God, we would leave this place leaving with the end in mind. That we would leave and, 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 and cherish each day. That what's left is nothing that we see except the, the people that are in front of us. And we see their very souls and who they are, not for what they provide and on the external, Lord, but how you see them as we would see them. Precious lives all around us that desperately need you, that you're called for us to love and to care. Lord, when we see with the end in mind, because at the end of the day, it's all going to be put away. It's all going to end. But what we have left is each other in eternity that we can hang on to, Lord, to the next. God, we ask for that help. And doing it as we live this out, we pray in Jesus' name.